You're listening to The 66, a podcast where we go through the books of the Bible one at a time. And if you're joining us for the first time on this episode, uh, we go through the books in a three-step process. First, we read it. Wait, wait, let me do it. Okay. Number one. Read. Number two. Think. <laughs> Number three. Let's spot there. Apply. And what we do in these sections, uh, first we just read it and we kind of give you an outline make it easier to teach if you're teaching a class or just for your own personal study. Uh, kind of keep it organized. And then we'll take a short break and the second section we'll come back and we'll look into a few things and go a little bit deeper. Uh, pretty much just stuff that's the most interesting uh, to me and Drew. Uh, whatever we like yeah. the most, we dig into. And then in the third section... We Usually the longest part yeah. of the podcast. Oh yeah, because we have Probably so much in be. our minds to share. It's our uh, podcast. We can do, you know. That's exactly right. And unless somebody sends us a bunch of hate mail, we don't have to change it. And even then, we that's don't have not to change it. Yeah. yeah. They have to send us mail in the first place. Um, anyway, lastly, we will apply it. And that's pretty much where we just use uh, some of this knowledge that we have found in our research. Um, so uh, I'm Andrew Kingsley and co podcasting. I guess is the right word. Nice. Because we're not really co-hosts. That's more like a TV show, radio show. Mm-hmm. This is close to a radio show, but not. Uh, so co-podcasting with Drew Kaiser. And this is a part of the ministries of the Asheville Road Church of Christ in Leeds, Alabama. And today we are in Philemon. Paul's letter to Philemon. It's a really short... I thought it was Philemon. 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 It's a story about a guy who people call to file wood doors. <laughs> Metal, paper. sometimes metal. What about paper in the office? Oh, he's a maybe he has like some clerical man. duties. Yeah, we haven't done this in a while, and <laughs> we actually enjoy this for some reason. And I'm yeah. a little giddy today about. Oh yeah, I've had three cups of coffee so far today. I've so. had copious amounts myself. Oh, okay, I'm not sure. Let's be interesting. Like that's a lot. Yeah, we should erase this. Eh, Let's we'll, keep going. Yeah, we'll fix it in editing. Fix it in editing. <laughs> And then, uh, let's see, we're in so Philemon. Philemon. Yeah. Philemon, Philemon, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is the shortest letter that Paul writes. And it's different from all of Paul's other letters because this is not just general advice for a congregation that he sets up. Uh, this isn't, you know, something like uh, Corinthians or Ephesians or Galatians or any of those because uh, this is written to just one person. So I guess it's similar to Titus and Timothy in the fact that it's written to one person. Well, a lot of people don't realize that Paul's letters are organized starting with the letters to the churches, longest Mm -hmm. to shortest, and then the letters to the people, longest to shortest. And evidently you're one of the ones that didn't realize that. I had uh, no idea. So the last letter to the church is, I should know this, but is it... um, Second uh, Thessalonians, yeah, yeah. Second Thessalonians, and then Timothy, and so that's the shortest of the letters to the to the churches. And then mm-hmm. we start with the longest of the letters to the people, Timothy. And mm-hmm. they're not going to put like uh, Titus maybe a little longer in Second Timothy, but they're not going to put First Timothy, Titus, Second Timothy. Yeah. Do like that. That's that's why they're in the order that they are in, and why Philemon is at the very end of Paul's catalog. Of letters, hmm. never knew that. So I can write that nice. down for a note here. Yeah, uh, but I can't write while I'm talking because I can't do two things at once. Yeah. Um, so this letter is written to Philemon in order to, or Paul's trying to make an appeal to him to do something, and we're going to find out what that is as we read. Uh, so this letter really outlines. If you want to take notes or write down your main heading, it's going to be Paul's appeal or The Appeal, or whatever you want to write. You can probably think of a catchier title than I can. Uh, But Paul's appeal, and first of all, we have the person. And that's in verses 1 through 7. And the person, obviously, is Philemon, or Philemon. In verse 1, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So Timothy is there with Paul. Uh, This is when Paul is in his imprisonment in Rome. He's under house arrest at the end of the book of Acts. You can go over there and look at that or listen to our first episode on Philippians to get a lot of information on Paul and his house arrest in Rome. But that's where he is, and Timothy's with him. 
Timothy could have written this letter or just helped him write it, one of the two. But if you want more info on that, go back and listen to our first lesson on Philippians. Um, Four letters written in those circumstances. Yes. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, uh, Colossians is going to get brought up here in just a second. Yeah, these... Wouldn't you say Philemon and Colossians written just almost back to back? Oh, yeah. Almost mm-hmm. seems like same day. Maybe. Yeah. And there's a very good chance of that. We'll go. I'll go ahead and spoil one of our big reveals here. Uh, Philemon is actually a member of the church at Colossae. Mm-hmm. So the letter to the Colossians, Colossians uh, you know, Philemon's hearing that when he goes to meet with the Christians. When he goes to, you know, as we call it, going to church now. But when he goes to meet with the church... Uh, that's where he goes. It's the one in Colossae. So Colossians is for Philemon. And actually, when we get to the end of this letter, we're going to see that uh, this letter was carried at uh, the same time the letter to the Colossians is carried. So the guy's got them both in his pocket when he's walking over to uh, from Rome to Colossae. He's got both the letters. Uh, but he writes it to Philemon. You can see there in verse 1, To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier in the church in your house, grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about the person of Philemon in the next section because uh, there's a little bit of debate over what exactly he was and what his role was. Uh, basically, just for the sake of this reading, uh, he is a well-respected man at the church in Colossae. Uh, he could have served in a lot of different roles, he could have been a minister there, uh, but either way, he could have been an elder. There's a lot of stuff that we'll spend some time talking about in the next section. But either way, no matter what he was, he was a highly respected man in the church of Colossae. Uh, and then his family members are mentioned here. And here's something neat to point out. At this time, a household would look like a mom, a dad, kids, and servants. Um, and a lot of households where if you're, I guess, the kind of upper middle class or middle class of the time, that's what a household's going to look like. And you see here, a lot of commentators bring this point out, that you have the, the father, the mother mentioned right there at the start, and then the son, he's most likely their son, uh, that third name listed there. And then what this whole letter is about is about the servant that's missing from their household. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of an interesting point to bring out. You have the family there. They're missing somebody. We're going to find out who it is when we get to verse 8. But verses 4 through 7 kind of give you a look into this guy, Philemon. He's a, he's a good man. He is, uh, looks like he's a very upstanding follower of Christ. You can read some of the things that Paul says about him. Verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in, in, that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So you can see he's people get a lot of encouragement from him, and this is where the argument that he might be a minister Sound, yeah, from. he sounds like a minister or an elder. Mm-hmm. You're yeah. refreshing the hearts of the saints and also being very evangelistic, the sharing of your faith. Yeah. You know, so he's an evangelist plus an edifier. Mm-hmm. And he is, it, it looks, Paul has all the confidence in the world in Philemon. Uh, you can look over towards the end of the letter, uh, verse 21. Uh, He says, I'm confident of your obedience, knowing that you will do even more than I say. This appeal that he's about to make, he's saying, look, I know you're going to do what's right, even more than what I say. He has a lot of confidence in Philemon. So Philemon is a very trustworthy man, a man of Christ, a man of God here. Let's see what Paul is asking him to do. We said there's a man missing from their household. So we've covered the person in Paul's appeal, and now we get to the appeal itself, right here in verses 8 through 12. Verse 8, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. 
Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. So the scenario here, Paul has somehow run into this guy Onesimus at some point in his journeys. And he finds out that Onesimus actually is a former slave of Philemon's. And so Paul has found Onesimus and has converted him to Christ. You can see that he says uh, he's his father. He says, uh, I appeal to you for Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. You see similar language with Timothy um, and with people that Paul converts to Christ. So that's whole congregations. Sometimes he calls his children. Mm -hmm. Uh, John does the same thing uh, Mm -hmm. in his letters, too. So what we're talking about here is he's not... We're not saying Paul had a kid and now he's sending his kid over to Philemon. No, Philemon or uh, Philemon used to own, technically, it's not really the politically correct word to use, but he used to own Onesimus as mm-hmm. a slave. Onesimus was a slave to Philemon. Still he, does. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly Still does. right. And that's why Paul sends him Which we'll back. get more into. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because if he, if he hadn't owned him, this letter, there'd be no need to write this letter or send Onesimus back. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get us into a lot of a lot of discussion on slavery. And yeah. this letter, in fact, was a was a big point of debate in uh, you know the point in our history when slavery was prevalent. Uh, there were actually people trying to get this letter. There were people that dismissed this letter from the canon because of some of the things that it taught about slavery. Now, why they didn't try to dismiss Ephesians and uh, Colossians and Titus as well, because all three of those letters say things about slavery. Now, this letter okay, with. so we'll talk about this more in the second section. In second, but yeah. I got to ask you, since you said that, you know, I might forget yeah, to ask you later. No, I, I want to okay. know in which direction. Like, are you talking about abolitionists who wanted it dismissed? No. Or you're talking about. Pro-slavery people. Pro-slavery okay, people. Okay, good. Yeah, they didn't like it because... You could it, go either way. You could take um, things out of context here mm-hmm. and go and say it's in favor of slavery, but we'll we'll save the rest of that for later. Yeah, there's lots of great stuff in here about that uh, that really settles mm-hmm. the argument for the Christian view of slavery. But uh, you have the appeal. Basically, the appeal is take Onesimus back. Mm-hmm. Please accept him back into your house. He ran away from you. He was not useful to you, but now I promise you he is taking back. And so there's the appeal. And the next part is the Wait reason. Wait a second. Um, in the appeal, this term useful is used all the time. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting verse 11 is a play on words, play on Onesimus' name. His name mm-hmm. means useful. Yeah. And Paul says, formerly he was useless to you. So formerly his name was an irony. Here you have this... Uh, Man named useful who was useless, yeah. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Mm-hmm. Now I don't want to read too much into that. It's a play on words which Paul was fond of. He was a very good writer. Mm-hmm. But I'm, you know, I had to stop and ask. You know, was he a bad servant? Yeah. You know, or or was he regarded as useless because he ran away? Did he run away because Philemon was saying he was? You know, there's no answer to these questions. Yeah. It's just. You know, how far do we take that, you know, in the past he was useless. Maybe use, probably in context he was saying he was useless spiritually speaking because he was a heathen. He was a pagan of some kind. And now, in the true, um, you know, needs that Philemon had in his life, the spiritual needs, Mm -hmm. Onesimus was very useful. Oh, yeah. And I'm will, guessing that's what that means. Yeah, and in the next section, I do want to talk about what would have happened to Onesimus to make him useful. All right. Um, so we'll we'll move on to the next thing is the reasoning. So we have the person, the appeal itself, and now the reasoning. Mm-hmm. And that starts in verse 13. He says, I would have been glad to keep him with me, nor that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment in the gospel. Uh, there were some other people that served him, Epaphroditus being one of them, and that's also in Philippians. Uh, verse 14, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. And this next part is very important, verse 16. 
no longer as a slave or a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So the appeal is taken back, and the reason is, well, this is basically the right thing to do. I want you to take him back, not because you have to, but but because you want to. You know, I want this to be not under compulsion, but of your own accord. Uh, and you need to take him back as a brother, not just a servant, not a slave anymore. Now you need to treat him as a brother. And that's going to open up a lot of things for discussion about slavery. And then we have the request. And the request in verse 17 is wrapped up in that phrase, take him back as a beloved brother. Verse 17, if you consider me your partner, Receive him as you would receive me. All in all, the request is receive him. Verse mm-hmm. 18, if he, owe, if he wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this in my own hand. I will repay it. And so uh, that's the request that he has, is to do basically to do what's right, to take him back. And then in verses 20 and 21, you have his expectation. So we have the appeal, or the person, the appeal, the, re- the reasoning, the request, and the expectation. And that I- wraps up the appeal. Where's the, where's the expectation? Verses 21 and 22, mm-hmm. and then the last few verses are just that final greeting uh, that you see in all of his letters. Uh, verse 19 is interesting. You know, we've talked, uh, especially in the letter to the Philippians, I think that's the only other Pauline letter we've covered so far, how Paul yeah. would use an amanuensis. His eyesight was probably bad. Um, at the end of Galatians, he says, look with what large letters I'm writing to you. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's Galatians. I should have checked that. But here we have another one of those instances yeah, where it seems like he took the pen away from the secretary, which would be Timothy in this case, and wrote a small part uh, just to make sure Philemon knows that it's it's he who is yeah. who is talking to him. You know, I, I, Paul, write this with my own hand, colon, I will repay it. And yeah. then maybe after that dash there, Timothy takes back over. You know, I just imagine that. It would be great to be able to look at the original autograph of this oh, yeah. of this letter and see, you know, that change in handwriting there. Or it may have just been mm-hmm. a figure of speech, you know. But yeah. I, I don't know. With, you know, did, he, he either wrote the whole thing, which was unusual for Paul. He liked to dictate. Yeah. Or he took the pen away from Timothy and wrote that one little section there, which is whenever he does something like that, he's really trying to get a message across. He's emphasizing yeah. something. Yeah, that's a that's a really interesting point to bring out. Uh, and then he he kind of closes the appeal with his expectation here that we mentioned a minute ago, verse twenty one. Confidence, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do what I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. So he expects for Philemon to do what he's supposed to, and he expects to come and see him pretty mm-hmm. soon, which we also saw in the letter to the Philippians. Yeah. Uh, so he expects to get out of his imprisonment. And then he closes with this list of names here that we'll talk a little bit about in the next section, uh, all those names being people at the church in Colossae, and they're all mentioned by name Something that might help tie all the prison epistles together. If you go back and read Colossians and Ephesians, and then you read this letter as well, um, and Philippians as well, you'll find some names mentioned in there or towards the end that say who's carrying the letter. Here's how they're all connected. Paul and this guy Tychicus, who's mentioned at the end of Colossians in Colossians 4, and he's also mentioned in Ephesians 6. There's Tychicus, there's Epaphroditus, who's mentioned in Philippians chapter 2, two. towards the end yeah. of chapter 2, um, and there's Onesimus. These three guys are with Paul in Rome, and so is this other man named Epaphras, who's going to be important in just a minute. Um, but these guys are all with Paul in Rome. Timothy's there as well. Paul sends out Tychicus, Epaphroditus, and Onesimus from Rome. Tychicus and Onesimus go together. 
And Tychicus gives the letter to the Ephesians, and he gives the letter to the Colossians, uh, obviously to their respective cities. Tychicus travels with Onesimus, and it's likely, you know, either one of them is carrying the letter. Not sure which one, I don't know that it really matters. But either one of those two is carrying the letter to Philemon. You know, maybe Onesimus has got it, and he's going to say, here's the letter, here I am. Mm-hmm. Or maybe, you know, Tychicus kind of serves as that buffer to say, here's the letter, here's, you know, Onesimus is here, uh, that kind of thing. And then Epaphroditus heads over to Philippi. Uh, so that's kind of how these prison epistles connect, and you can read that at the end of all, and that's kind of interesting. Uh, neat to notice, anyway. Uh, but Philemon, we'll get into Philemon, and that'll bring us to that guy, Epaphras, I just mentioned. Philemon, uh, Linsky, he's a highly respected commentator. He claims that this word, fellow worker, in verse 1, he says, Philemon is our beloved fellow worker. Uh, really takes that to the bank, saying that Philemon is a minister in Colossae. And uh, it, in the context, it makes it would make sense. Uh, the guy that founded the church in Colossae is probably not Paul. Uh, you can read it in Colossians, uh, some of the beginning phrases in Colossians. I'm not sure where I have those in my notes. Uh, but... He talks about people that he's never visited before. Uh, it's in Colossians 2. It's at the start of Colossians 2. He starts talking about, um, and I'm using this iPad so I can't flip over there quickly. He says something, as in all the churches that I haven't met. All who have not seen me face to face. Yeah. Colossians 2.1. Yeah, he's talking about the people that I haven't seen face to face. So he probably hasn't been there, which means he hasn't planted the church. The guy that probably did plant it was Epaphras. If you look in Colossians 1, verses 3 through 9, there's a lot written there about uh, Epaphras. Um, also in Colossians 4, 12 to 13. Um, and then at the end of this letter, Philemon, he's also mentioned. Definitely not a stretch to say that Epaphras founded the church there. And then Epaphras went to Rome to see Paul. So it's very likely that Philemon was kind of filling in for Epaphras while he was gone. It's a very likely scenario. Uh, So Philemon is probably serving as the minister, much like Paul would have been serving when he was at um, Ephesus and when he was in Philippi. He's probably doing the same kind of work, and thus he's called the fellow worker. So there's some really interesting stuff there about Philemon that kind of gives you, you know, when you read it, I guess you're never really in doubt of the fact that Philemon is going to do what Paul asks you know, it's kind of something I think even without this letter, Philemon would do the right thing and take Onesimus back. But that kind of leads us into the problem at hand and why it's yeah. even an issue, this whole idea of slavery. Yeah. I, I don't know if I agree. I've always read this wondering about Philemon's, Philemon's response. And it may just be my knee-jerk reaction to slave owners, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, and, and being an American, let's start the discussion with slavery here. Okay. Being an American, slavery comes with certain connotations that don't belong to Roman slavery. Yeah. You know, n- neither is justifiable, but the slavery of the American South was uh, probably more brutal uh, it was also uh, never voluntary, and uh, it often involved harsher labor conditions than what you would find most of the time among Roman slaves. Yeah. Also, there were far more Roman slaves than there were American slaves. Yeah. And in Rome, there was a discussion in the Senate about forcing slaves to dress differently from from the uh, freemen, and it was decided against that that uh, idea because if the slaves dressed, it would be apparent that there were far more slaves in Rome than freemen, and they would stage a revolt or yeah. something like that. Hmm. Uh, it was not typical for the slaves to be... Well, I was going to use the word mistreated, but they they were mistreated. But it was not typical for them to be treated in the same brutal fashion as in the American South. However, they were regarded as property, and that is a violation of human rights Mm -hmm. right there. 
So it doesn't matter if you've got nice clothes on and you got plenty to eat, you're living in comfortable quarters, and people speak to you in a friendly way. If they consider you to be a tool of theirs, they are violating your human rights. Yeah. And and so it was just as wrong, even in the case of Onesimus, who may have had nice... You, you mentioned him as a family member. He mm-hmm. may have been regarded as a family member, but not as a human being equal to other yeah. human beings. Maybe, you know, in a, in a bad situation, obviously, probably kind of like a pet, almost. Yeah. You know, to... Beloved I mean, it pet. sounds horrible to say, but, you know, doing it the wrong way, the wrong, uh, you know... Opposite of what Paul is trying to teach here about slavery, I think, and what he teaches in uh, Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians and also in Titus, um, that's not certainly not the idea of a pet in the house and you own the guy. Mm-hmm. Now, Philemon doesn't say anything here about what, what are you doing having a slave, a servant in the first place. He never mentions that. He, right. You know, People he, have a problem with that. Yeah. but they're, The New Testament. Yeah, there you know. is no problem with it. Um, and we can just go ahead and look at why. Something happened to Onesimus. Now, this is where I want to start with this. Well, now, you know, the problem that I think people have is more so with other letters, such as Ephesians 6 5, you know, lifting That's it out of con- context. Go, yeah. Slaves obey your masters. You know, just, you know, reading that command. People have a problem with that, and they'll say, well, the Bible, the New Testament, supports slavery. And, of course, slavery is even regulated under the Old Covenant, but the Old Covenant, of course, did not reach the the high standards in the New Covenant, the yeah. ideal of God. So we're going to put that aside for right now and just look at the New Testament. Yeah. Um, but that, that, that I don't think they get their objections from Philemon so much as some of the other the advice of in Ephesians and well, if other... you read just verse five by itself, it does look bad. My right. servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So do whatever they say. Verse six, not by this is Ephesians six, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Now look at verse 9. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. Yeah, uh, Ephesians 6, 9 destroys slavery. Uh-huh. It destroys it because after telling slaves to obey masters, let's go back through, obey masters... Uh, don't do it as I service, but as servants of Christ, render it with goodwill. Remember that um, you're going to be judged. Then he says, "Oh, and masters, ditto." Yeah. So yeah, that's it. You thing. know, anything you say. Well, he told he told the servants to obey their master. Well, he told the masters to obey their servants. He took yeah. Tell the masters to obey the servants. And when you look in the context of Ephesians, look at what comes right before it at the end of chapter 5. Wives and your husbands. Well, people have a problem with that, too. Husbands and your wives. The start of chapter 6, children. And look what comes next. Servants. So here's the household... And that these, we were talking about to begin with. You know, the mother, the or the mother. Mother. The father. That's just a mashup of both of them. Don't say two words. Yeah. The mother, the father, the children, and the servant. He's going yeah. through the household. And he does the same thing in Colossians. Uh, he's doing it to illustrate the principle in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, mm-hmm. which is part of the Christian lifestyle. We all, in some way, learn submission. And it's mm-hmm. it's all out of reverence for Christ. We've been given different positions in life and different opportunities to demonstrate that same submission. So if you're a slave, you demonstrate your reverence for Christ through submitting to your masters. If you're a yeah. master, you do that through submitting to the needs of your, your slave. Much If like, you're a wife, mm-hmm. husband. If you're a child, parent. If you're a, a member of a congregation, to the elders. Mm-hmm. You know, If you're an employee, to your employer. It yeah. goes on and on and on. But all Honor that, one another above just, yourselves. That's kind yeah. of the idea I'm thinking of. Yeah. You know that Paul writes in Romans 12? Or is it Romans 9? 
Romans 12, 9. I'll do 12. one another in showing honor. Yeah. Yeah, Romans 12, 12, yeah. 10. Um, and then so. you find almost the same thing written in Colossians three twenty two to 4, 1. Yeah. And we don't have to read that because it's the exact same thing. Uh, but notice again, verse 18, wives. Verse 19, husbands. Verse 20, children. 21, fathers. 22, servants or slaves. Mm-hmm. So there's your household, uh, like we said earlier. But the idea is, you see, when Onesimus was first working for Philemon, we don't know if Philemon was like a a good manager of his servants or not. I'm going to use that word manager to kind of take the sting off of the word owner because it's kind of hard to say a slave owner is going to be doing things right. But even if you have Philemon to start off with, you know, he's a righteous guy trying to please God, even if he is. Um, Onesimus, you know, we don't know whether or not Philemon was, but Onesimus, for some reason, was useless. And it could have been that he was just, you know, lazy or didn't really work hard or Maybe he was just bitter about the fact that he was a slave, so he didn't want to do anything, and he wanted to get away from it. And that might be why he ran away, but all that is speculation. But something happened to Onesimus to make him useful to Philemon. And, you know, I think it is the fact that he was converted to Christ, and we just read what Christ teaches about his current situation. Mm -hmm. And it says, Obey your masters like this. So if you're Philemon, and you have a slave being sent back to you, or let's just use the word servant, I guess, uh, to make it not sound so bad. Uh, you have a servant being sent back to you. Why are you trying not to make it sound bad? Well, because the way that I'm the way that I'm picturing this of Paul saying take Onesimus back, almost like Philemon is going to be Onesimus's boss, almost. You know. Well, he says. Well, let's let's talk about the argument against slavery from Philemon real quick. Mm-hmm. Not to interrupt your flow of thought here, but I was wanting to do this, go from Ephesians to Philemon's powerful argument, which is basically, you know, contained in verse um, 15 and 16, you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh, what does that mean? And in the Lord. I mean... He could not have been a relative, could he have been? No, but I really think this is... But in the flesh, maybe it's just, you know, a brother in the worldly sense, you know, as a part of your household. I get, you know, we've got to take it that way, maybe. Yeah, that's what I'm... And then in the Lord, of course, in the spiritual family of God. But there's there's a powerful argument that destroys slavery is, in Christ, we're brethren. We're all on equal footing. Equal mm-hmm. heirs of the grace of life, First Peter three seven. So Galatians now 3 that he's a Christian, says there's no yeah you know, no slave no or distinction. Free. Colossians yeah, three eleven says the same sort of thing. Um, so yeah, there, there's, there's no slave nor free, and and all is forgiven too. You mm-hmm. know that useless thing that I've been we've been dwelling on that a lot, and it's a play on words because the name is useful, but there's also some evidence here that possibly. Uh, Onesimus got his um, means to travel to Rome in an unethical way, so to speak, by stealing it. Because he says here in verse 18, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Well, so if he stole the money to get to Rome. From, I mean, from how, does, how does a slave get from Colossae to Rome? How does yeah, he do it? That's a good point. So... He doesn't say that he stole anything, but why would he write that if he had not stolen anything? Yeah. He must have. Hmm. And uh, so so maybe in that sense he was useless as well. Uh, Onesimus's life, we should say this, it was in danger mm-hmm. for stealing possibly, but definitely for running away. That actually reminds me, uh, according to the Roman law, you know, slaves have no rights. No. And if a slave runs away, the the slave owner can do whatever they choose to do to that slave, and there's absolutely no repercussion. And one of the penalties was crucifixion. Hmm. It's one of the things that they did. Yeah. So Onesimus has got all this stuff to 
you know, in the back of his mind to think about, I guess, as he goes back. And Onesimus is doing the right thing in going back, Yeah. Uh, by the way. Tremendous faith in Paul, but also in Christ as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of people become Christians and their lives don't change one whit. You know, they they go to work the next day after their baptism and act the exact same way they acted before. Yeah. Uh, they don't want to change. I've had people come to me and want to obey Christ and they're living in a... In a, in a sinful situation, they've got a living girlfriend or boyfriend, and I talk to him. well, before you become a Christian, you've got to move out. Well, I can't do that financially, or I can't do that. I love this person. Well, marry, you know, get married. Well, I can't do that. We're not ready for that yet. And you want to become a Christian. It's not going to make a difference in your life. But Onesimus yeah. knows that he's headed possibly for death, but he has enough faith in Christ to say, well, my owner, my master, uh, he's a Christian. And Paul and he's is a read Christian. what Paul has written to him, or he's about to read what Paul's writing in Colossians to him. Yeah. You know, and all the letters are read in all the churches. Uh, as we read at the end of Philippians and Colossians, uh, where Paul says had this letter read among the other churches as well. Yeah, pass it around. Yeah. So he's having, Onesimus here is banking on the fact, hey, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and Philemon, if he's going to do what he's supposed to do, Paul thinks he's going to. What do you think it was like at church when Colossians was read at Colossae, and Philemon's sitting there, you know, and they get to that part about, you know, slaves obey your masters, and do your work heartily as the Lord, not to men, and Mm -hmm. all that. A little awkward, do you think, maybe? Everybody's thinking... I've painted this just great picture of Philemon in my head. And so I'd like to think when Onesimus gets back, you know, Philemon is kind of like just happy to see the him. dad in the prodigal son story. You yeah. know, he's just, before he even reads a letter, you know, happy th- to see and him. And I know you think that because you don't want to use the term master. You don't want to use the term slave. I'm giving him a lot of credit because he's probably... He, but Paul is having to... Writing the letter. He's, got he's to having to write this letter. Onesimus ran away... Yeah, I uh, like Philemon because he says, "I know that you will do this, and even more that I say." So Paul's got every. I feel like this Paul, you know, using just maybe being hopeful, influence. or you know, just he's, say he's a motivation. He's a motivator. Yeah, you know, saying, "I know you're going to do this, and I know you can more. do the right thing." Yeah, oh yeah, I I'm glad you have that because be. I've always had kind of a a bad feeling about Philemon, but mm-hmm. a lot of that's tainted by my. A distaste for slavery, and uh, yeah. I, I you you like slave owners. That's your that's your business. <laughs> I know it was of, different back then. I'm thinking of Philemon here is almost like a, you know, like like the boss, you know, just you know, as the head of the household. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got people. Well, I don't, don't want to pour my own grape juice. Like I'm thinking of people that might have. Uh, you know, people that work in their homes now or somebody that owns a farm and they hire people to come out and work on their farm. They hired. See, you use the word hired. That's what He wasn't hiring. He bought Onesimus. Yeah, true. That is true. So I'm not trying to convince you that he's a bad guy because by all indications, we don't have the end of this story, but by all indications, finally we did what he was asked to do. Yeah. and, And I like to think of him... You know, that letter being read, the the letter to the Colossians being read in church the next Sunday, mm-hmm. and finally with this big grin on his face, arm one arm around, what's his name, Arch- Archippus, yeah, and the other arm kid. around Onesimus, and, yeah. and with a big smile on his face, and Onesimus looking up at him with this glowing look on his face. I love to picture that. Everybody's happy. And, and, and I, I think that very well could have happened, but Paul had to really do some... Hard work. This letter is so carefully crafted, and there are some mm-hmm. subtle hints in here, which is another thing I wanted to think about. I was jotting these down. Um, Paul and Philemon had a past together. Yeah, there's something, something between the lines here that starts in verse 13, which is language that we noticed. Um, in the letter to the Colossians, we were talking in the break that um, Epaphras was 
the minister to Paul on behalf of the church at Colossae, well, he uses the same language with regard to Onesimus, that uh, Onesimus was serving Paul on Philemon's behalf during his imprisonment for the gospel. Mm-hmm. So already you kind of get a subtext of, hey, you owed me this use of uh, a friend, a companion, a servant while I was in prison. Yeah. And then in verse 14, <clears throat> he says, I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So is Paul saying, you know... I could force you to do this. Well, he actually, Compulsion. He does say that in verse 8. Right. He says, I am bold enough to command you to do oh, what yeah, you require. Oh, yeah, I missed that one. But for love's sake, I choose to appeal to you. So is this just apostolic authority? It, or it sounds is there some... like he's saying, I know I have the... I could say, look, my name is Paul. I'm an apostle. You're going to do what I say. But instead of doing that, he says, I'm bold enough to do that. Verse 8 or verse 9, yeah, verse 9. Yeah. Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. But in saying that, doesn't he really command him? No. I mean, it's very clever. That, you know, it's kind of like... I could. It's kind of like so the, no, the verse 21. Confident of your yeah. obedience. <laughs> you know, it's kind of verse 8. You know, yeah, I could command you, but I prefer to appeal to you. Uh, I think you just commanded him. <laughs> you know... That is a good subtle. Point. So if you say no to my appeal, I'm going to command you to do it. I, and I'm not saying he's going to, like, Philemon's going to go to bed one night and find a horse head in his bed <laughs> or something like that, an offer that he can't refuse. Yeah. But I, Paul is being very, he is, he is using every bit of rhetoric and argumentation that he has in his power to keep Onesimus safe here, mm-hmm. and and Philemon safe, he's worried about Philemon's soul because if yeah. Onesimus comes home and Philemon throws him in prison, or punishes him harshly, or worse yet, puts him to death, Philemon is not going to heaven. Yeah, and so he is he is trying to save Philemon's soul, and we haven't talked about the clearest one, verse nineteen. Um, you know, he he gets into you know we're talking about the possibility of whether or not Onesimus stole something. And Paul, you know, takes the pen from Timothy. I write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Mm -hmm. So I will repay it. Not to mention that you owe me your life. but But if you need your money back, I'll send your money. Yeah. You know, so what happened... Giving him a bunch of guilt trips, I guess, kind of without giving him a guilt trip. Right. Well, you know, most people would interpret this to say, well, Paul converted Philemon, so of course Philemon owes Paul his life just as Onesimus does because he wouldn't be going to heaven if he had never met Paul. But you wonder, it could be other things as well. Paul could have gotten Philemon out of a tight fix in the past. But it's interesting because, like you said, there, by all indications, Paul had never visited Colossae. So, well, he probably he'd never seen him face to face. Colossians two one, right? Well, there's a probability that he did meet Philemon, and I remember reading this. I didn't write any of it down because um, it was just a lot of speculation. Philemon could have been traveling to one of the places that Paul wound up in on his. Well, he missionary must journeys and acts. That's the argument that they make, that yeah. Philemon had wandered over to... Because there are several commentators that think Paul did establish the church at Colossae. Because mm. um, he went to this region. And again, I'm going off this iPad, so I can't just flip over there in my Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he goes to this region. Phrygia is the region where mm-hmm. Colossae is. Uh, acts says he goes to Phrygia and right. preaches there. And so... And there probably. are Laodicea and Hierapolis are yeah. in that area. So well. what's probably happened is Paul's gone over there and they planted. this guy Philemon somehow has bumped into Paul while they're there. Mm-hmm. Paul converts him then and then Philemon goes back to uh, Colossae and ends up picking up the ministerial work after Epaphras goes to Rome. 
But that's a lot of spec. I don't like doing all that because that's a lot of speculation. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. It would fit. But I'm sure there are well, we know a thousand we, other yeah, scenarios yeah, that I'm thinking about. It's not a, It's not even important, but we know that he did not go to Colossae, or he had not been there yet. Yeah. And we know that he had a past with Philemon. So they had he, to have gotten in touch with each other somehow. Yeah. Maybe it was at how, the um, Arywide singing at yeah. Laodicea. But but we're Probably way so. we're way past time on our think section. So yeah. let's take a break. When we come back, we'll wrap this up with some practical lessons of book filing. Um, lesson number one as we come back. Slavery is wrong. Don't buy people. And if you have to buy them, be nice to them. No. <laughs> don't don't have slaves. No, seriously, we want to get into some um, you know, practical lessons. There's some really good ones here in this little letter. And uh one of the most fascinating ones to me is about how God usually works. People tend to say that the only way that God can interfere in our lives and work in our lives is in a miraculous fashion. And so there's there's some people who look at everything as a miracle. Every every time God breaks into our lives and does something, it's miraculous. And in order to say that, you have to give miracle a very loose definition. The way I read miracle about miracles in the Bible, they're always violations of natural law. Um, they're always uh, supernatural versus natural. And they're always very obvious. But you have a great example here of something else. And for lack of a better term, we'll give the term providence to it. And it's in verse 15 where Paul says to Philemon, For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. The word perhaps introduces the idea of providence as opposed to a miracle. If Onesimus had come to Rome by way of a miracle, there would be no perhaps. If he had come to Rome by way of a um, if he had been converted to the truth by way of a miracle, there would be no perhaps. If he had become a Christian by way of a miracle, no perhaps. If he had been sent back to Philemon and accepted by Philemon by way of a miracle, there would be no perhaps because it would be obvious that the laws of nature had been broken, something supernatural had happened. You know, I don't know you know, what the miracle would be, but there would be no mistaking the miracle. Mm -hmm. But you have an apostle who can work miracles and who can lay his hands on people and impart to them the ability to work miracles, saying, perhaps God is behind this. Yeah. Maybe this all was orchestrated by the divine hand for Onesimus to come to Rome. No, first... For him to decide to leave you, find me in the mm-hmm. one of the largest cities in the world, <coughs> yeah. obey the gospel, and come back. Maybe God was behind this whole thing. Hmm. Not by implanting thoughts in Onesimus' mind or you know, miraculously transporting him from one place to the other but in some mysterious way that works within the boundaries of this natural world. That's providence. Providence is God's non-miraculous operations in our lives. Answered Mm -hmm. prayer today is providence. Uh, We don't have time to get into this, but God no longer works in a miraculous way. He works through providence. And a lot of people look at providence as miracles, but I think it's important to distinguish the two because a miracle was a very specific thing that God kept to a minimum that occurred during certain times during the days of recorded inspiration history. Mm-hmm. So, 
Um, we have a great example, and we've already discussed the other great example of providence in this podcast when we talked about the book of Esther, and we looked at Esther chapter 4, verses 14 and 15, yeah. when, um, you know, the word perhaps is not used, but Mordecai says, who knows whether you have come to the throne for such a time as this. Mm-hmm. Who knows is exactly like the, the phrase perhaps. Yeah. It's all about the providence of God. So I think it's a very important lesson about how God operates in our lives today, right there in yeah. Philemon 15. Yeah, I think it shows it's a very real a very real part of life. You know, Paul says it. Maybe this is why this happened. You know, how many times do you hear that mm-hmm. in life? I know I hear that all the time. Yeah. You know, well, maybe this is why so-and-so happened, or maybe this is... Yeah, you know, what I... You hear people use the phrase God thing, and I don't know. Yeah, people say maybe it's a God thing. Yeah. But it's the. It's a God thing. Yeah. I don't know, it's kind of wearing thin on me now. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm glad to hear their faith in God. Yeah. I think this is the way Christians ought to speak. Is, yeah. You know, maybe God was behind this. I don't understand all of this, but God's in control. He's still active. He's still working. Let's pray about this. Let's, yeah. I believe God can do great things, and he'll do what's right. I think that's the attitude. I think yeah. that's what... I think that's definitely still relevant today. You know, God is still alive. He still does things for his people, like yeah. you said. I think that's a very uh, a very encouraging note also. Do we have time for another yeah. one, or do you want to... Uh, well, this one is good, so I don't even want to bring it up. <laughs> That's a lot better than this one, but... Yeah, it's good. Uh, this is just about having an attitude of kindness, I guess. Uh, what Paul says to Philemon, verses 8 and 9, he says, I'm bold enough to command you, but for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. Uh, and I think that's really characteristic of Paul. So I really do think he's being genuine and not being... You know, I've heard somebody right. some being said, now I could command you to do this, but I'm yeah. going to, you know. We weren't being fair. I was not being fair to Paul. Well, no. I'm not saying that. I, I think just it thought could it was kind of funny. But it's, yeah, it does read kind of funny. But but we know what he's saying. He's saying, I love you, so I'm not going to treat you like you treat Onesimus. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to appeal to you. Yeah, kind of this. This is something that Paul does in several of his letters. If you look at the end of 2 Corinthians in chapter 13, uh, he's just talking to them about the, really the improvements that they need to make. And in verse 10, the very end, there's only four verses left, he says, For this reason I write these things while I am away from you, that when I come I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. Mm-hmm. So I think as a general rule, and in, even in Galatians, that's what Paul authority is, is for. Yeah, where Paul's having to use that authority in a severe way, he does it throughout the whole letter of Galatians. Mm-hmm. But look what he says in uh, Galatians four twenty. He says, "I wish that I could be with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you." Mm-hmm. So Paul's being severe, and he stops to say, "I wish I didn't have to be severe." You know, mm-hmm. I wish I wasn't having to do this. And in 2 Corinthians 13, he says, I don't want to be severe in the use of my authority. And I think that's kind of coming... Is that the building up, not tearing down passage? 2 uh, yeah, Corinthians, yeah. Because I wanted to go back to that for a second. You you said this was, this was a great application. And it's turning into something you said it was about love, but it's really about leadership. It's about how to lead. Paul's given us yeah. a great model for leadership here. And all those passages that you just gave us, they they all relate to what he's doing with Philemon here. He's leading Philemon the way he's led all these churches. Authority is given in the church today to elders and to fathers and to husbands and to teachers. And uh, even preachers have some degree of authority. Titus 2.15, preach with all authority. I believe yeah. that has a lot to do with you know the way we handle the word. And when we're preaching the word, there's an authority there that's different from the elders' authority. And I believe that um, the elders have the highest authority in the local congregation. But how are they to use it? Paul spells it out in 2 Corinthians 13. It's for building up, not tearing down. Yeah. 
the root word of the term authority is author, which is instructive to me yeah. because what authority is about is authoring life, creating something in another person, commissioning life, affirming life. Um, you know, and that's what he's trying to do to Philemon and Onesimus here. Yeah. So I think it's great. I think Peter talks to elders in the same mode when he says in 1 Peter 5, 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. There's your authority. But then he has to give a disclaimer. Not under compulsion. So it's just like Paul said, I could command you, but I'm not going to. Peter's saying, you could command them, but don't. Not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Yeah. So the way that you lead is through love and through service and through uh, exemplifying the, what you want them to do. That's leadership. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I'm really glad you said that because that just gave me a good idea for when we do our family retreat and uh, our discussions about parenting. Because uh, I think yeah, that, it works for parenting too. Yeah, kind of. It's a direct parallel, you know, uh, leadership in the church and leadership at home. There's a reason that elders have to be able to manage their own households well. Because uh, I think it's yeah, you know, a the lot same of skills that work in home. Work and and I said it works. It's the only thing that works. It's the mm-hmm. only thing that works long term. Because if you it's, tell a kid that they, well, I'm just thinking. You, if you make yeah. a kid do something, they, the fact that they do it, even if they do it, it's not going to be good enough. You know, to the point of it's not going to have the right attitude behind. I it. tell the story all the time, and I'm sure folks are getting tired of it. About you know the kid that won't sit down, and his dad finally just picks him up and slams him down in the chair and says, you know, or holds him there and makes him sit down. And the kid said to his dad, I'm still standing on the inside. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a goofy thing. Or the fable of the wind and the sun having the competition. I haven't heard that. Uh, so the the wind and the sun are arguing over who's the most powerful. Mm-hmm. And uh, this man comes by wearing a coat. And so the wind says, all right, here is the test to see who is the most powerful. Whoever can get that man to take his coat off is the one who is the most powerful. So the wind begins, and it blows as hard as it can, trying to blow the coat off the man, which causes him to just bundle up tighter and close himself tighter. And no matter how hard the wind blew, it blew the man down. He fell, he fell down on the ground, but it could not get the coat off the man. Yeah. And then when it was the sun's turn, the sun just exuded warmth, and the man smiled, took the coat off, folded it up under his arm, and walked away. So the power was in the warmth, not in the harsh, oh, domineering yeah. spirit. Uh, you know what? Little, That's my bulletin article. <laughs> well, it's Can been I, in a lot know. of bulletin articles well, if you want to use it. <laughs> I'm still, I've never heard it before. It's an old preacher's tale. Well, uh, well, we're out of town here. You want to wrap this up? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. If you've got any comments to make. Uh, you can go to our website and leave us a comment, or you can leave us a comment on the iTunes uh, podcast store. I guess it's not what? really a store. You not can com- go in. Can you yeah. do comments? Yeah, you can leave when you write, or I guess write a review. Review. Yeah, you yeah, can, that's a comment. Yeah, you can we write need a them. review and tell us how just great we are. Yeah, well, um, I only found three. Three. Yeah, so we I need, appreciate the three, but yeah, well, that's good. That's three more than. Really, we thought we'd have, I guess. Yeah, that's true. So, uh, if you don't mind, if you got a minute, go and write us a review, uh, even if you didn't like it. Or just punch out and just give us stars. You don't have to write a review. Yeah, but if there's anything we've said that uh, you either take issue with or you got some questions about or maybe you want us to explore a little bit further, uh, leave us a comment on our website or that website is the 66.net and 66 is a number uh, you can click on that episode and click leave a comment at the bottom of the page and also you can send us an email you can email me at akingsley at arcfc.com you can email Drew at is it dkaiser at arcfc.com no, 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 no. 
but we love to hear from you as long as it's good news. Um, <laughs> thanks for listening to us, and we'll be back next week with the Undetermined.